and welcome to the In Contention Podcast. I am your host, Matt Cranstuber, with Joey Pasco. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. I was really just going to say good morning, but I knew that didn't apply. <laughs> you have to extend your intro this week because we are short one Ruben Bressler. Yes, pox casting yet again. Yes. So, uh, yeah, with the holidays and everything, it's it's a little bit hard to get all three of us in one uh, virtual room, I suppose. So yeah. uh, we have a skeleton crew, as it were, but we got some good stuff to talk about anyway. But uh, Joey, how's your how's your weekend, man? Good, good. I mean, the half that I've been awake for so far. I mean, literally just rolled out of bed twenty five minutes ago. To uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. The only time that I could podcast was it, it's four in the morning right now. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's all good. I, I'm kind of a morning person anyway, but I still uh, am feeling the effects of bed. So, Fair enough. Well, In Contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series, and on January 5th and 6th, that's two weeks from now, the Open Series comes to Columbus, Ohio. That's my turf. With $10,000 prize pools in both the Standard and Legacy Opens, if you can't be there, be sure to tune in to SCGLive.com and catch Ari Lax and Adam Prozac with Glenn Jones and the Cyborg bringing you all the action. The Twitter hashtag for the weekend is SCGCOL, so you can use that to join in on the discussion. If you can't make it out, be sure to check out an Invitational Qualifier tournament near you. Go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listing at StarCityGames.com slash SCGOP. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio. And uh, a sicko commentary staff as well. Yeah. I mean... Adam Prosak. I mean, I guess we we could we could dive right in, but we'll 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 we'll, we'll wait a little bit. I, I think we're going to mention Prosak a little bit later. <laughs> I mean, both those show. guys are kind of on a tear. Ari uh, did pretty pretty well at the Grand Prix. Yeah, playing the pod deck, and uh, you know, obviously Prozac is playing in the start the Invitational right now and is in the top eight. Yeah. So uh, let, let's let's run down the hashtags. Yeah. yeah okay. So this week. Um, we have a few brief topics to, to discuss and, and a couple that we'll get into a little more heavily. At the top of the list, of course, we have the Invitational that we're going to talk about, talk about some of the deck lists, some of the people in the top eight, a few of the plays that we saw over the weekend. Then we have a uh, sort of topic that was hot on Twitter for a couple days and um, one that I think is pretty important for players to talk about. It's hashtag Alluren. And then uh, a couple small topics. We're going to talk about the holiday card. And then um, there was a local invitational qualifier in Columbus, Ohio, Comptown, this past weekend. And I have some thoughts from that, from some things that I saw. So I'd like to discuss that as well. So, Joey, um, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about a couple cool plays from the invitational, which uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the dark. I mean, I think I know the, the ProSac play, so maybe you can you well, can help me and our listeners out. Yeah, first of all, it's it's early Sunday morning, so we've already we're two days deep into the invitational as of, you know, as of right now when we're recording this and we've got a ridiculously stacked top 8. Um just to run this down, Nick Spagnolo, Matt Nass, Todd Anderson, Leon Kornacki, Jonathan Job, Ben Weinberg, Adam Prosak and Reed Duke are uh, going to be uh playing today standard uh in the top 8 uh you know for the invitational prize and I think uh I think just looking at this top eight, like it's not that anyone who who is listening to this thinks otherwise, but it's again another example of how much skill is involved in this game. Because look how many of these guys just consistently show up 
you know, in top eights, in top 16s, at Grand Prix, Invitationals, Pro Tours, things like that. Like, these are names we know mm-hmm. for the most part. So, so, uh, but I, I did mention I wanted to, I wanted to discuss or at least let you guys know in case you missed it, uh, one of the plays that came up yesterday in, uh, in Adam Prosak's match, I believe it was the final round of Swiss. So it was round 16. It was legacy. It was Adam Prosak versus Sam Friedman. And there, there are two ways to look at it. First of all, uh, Friedman is playing like an Esper stone blade list and, um, and Prosak is playing a storm list. And essentially the play breaks down to Prosak goes for it. He, he knows his opponent has surgical extraction, uh, from an earlier discard spell. And, uh, so he goes for the win with kind of a confidence that, Hey, I've got it. I've got the win. I'm going to just start going for it. So his opponent stops him and says, you know, hold on a minute and kind of tanks. And I think in sort of a last ditch effort kind of thing, like, all right, he, he probably has it. Otherwise he wouldn't try to go off. Um, I'll try to see if I can disrupt him by using surgical extraction for on his infernal tutor, which mm-hmm. there was one in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And he casts the surgical extraction, and Prosec drops his hand and shows like ritual, ritual tend- tendrils of agony, basically uh, storming him out with tendrils of agony for exactly lethal because of his opponent's surgical extraction. Like he <laughs> baited his opponent into casting surgical extraction when his. Uh, to, to get exactly lethal, if his opponent had not played the extraction, uh, it would have been he would have been to like one. So <laughs> it was wow. uh, it was pretty crazy. It, it was really neat to watch at the time, and um, and I think it was just Prosak's kind of demeanor of you know it looks like he has it. So he was just the confidence that he displayed to his opponent. His, I, at least this is the way I understood it. Um, it, just that confidence led his opponent to believe he actually just had lethal and the surgical extraction was just a way to maybe, maybe disrupt him. Um, but it actually helped kill his opponent. And, uh, there, I'm not, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm not surprised Prozac's doing well with ad nauseum because he, he's been streaming for two or three weeks. He started out playing high tide and then switched it up to, ad nauseum and if you've ever played ad nauseum like you you really have to play a lot with it um, not just fish bowling but really understanding what the hate looks like you know what it looks like if, if you fizzle you know what the pieces you need to pick back up right and it's a perfect deck for adam to play because adam's like the kind of guy where if you say like if you draw a hand and you say oh i can't lose he's he'll be the first person to say uh, you you can lose, <laughs> you know. So so if he's in like an impossible situation where you know he, he's not going to be able to crawl out of it, he, he's the kind of guy that you know he's willing to see if he can draw out of it. Like he he, he played to his outs, and I think you know that's a great situation where you know most players would have looked at that and said, "Man, you know, I I I got real close, but I didn't get there." And I think you know it may it may have been uh on purpose it may have just been like you know while it was happening it was sort of like a oh i guess i guess i can win sort of thing yeah. um but uh in either case i'm i'm definitely glad to see to, to see adam in the top 8 and you're right the top 8 is is pretty stacked i mean a lot of these guys are are name brand people of the open series and the pro tour and uh you know you see them all the time so very very cool yeah i did i i did have another uh couple of comments about the the Prosac match. One is just 
like this is one of those ways where you're imposing your will on your opponent in a way. You're saying like this is this is the situation. You're acting, uh, you know, with the confidence that something is a certain way, even if it's not. And you know, Prosak acting with that sort of "I have the win" kind of confidence puts his opponent in a situation where he's looking across going, I lose if I don't do something, I've got to do something. And it, in fact, you know, that was, that was what killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I did want to mention is rumor has it, I did hear somebody tweeted at me and, and uh, I'm assuming this person was actually at the event and maybe near the table was that Prosak actually misplayed, thought he had lethal, went off and his opponent made it. So, you know, he made it so uh, that it, it looked, you know, looked like it was this uh, masterful baiting plan. And, you know, that's what I'd <laughs> like to say, you know, uh, that that Prozac baited his opponent into doing that at, with this uh, acting, this uh, supposing that he had lethal, but he actually did think he had lethal. And that was why it looked like he was so confident that he had the win. <laughs> so I don't know what the truth is. I'm sure Adam would be the first to admit if if it was you know not as we all as it appeared to us. I know um, it was. I believe it was Adrian and Cedric in the uh, commentary booth, and both of those guys were pretty uh, excited at that that play. But it could could have been a little different. But I, I just wanted to present both sides of the information uh-huh. that that I that I was uh, was tweeted. So. Yeah, so you know, I, I think that the mix of decks is actually pretty interesting. It's it, you know, as far as legacy goes, it's not very surprising to see the decks that that did well do well. Of course, the Deathrite Shaman list, uh, you know, Deathrite Shaman's really solidified itself as uh, a great card uh, in legacy. It, you know, it, it interacts on a on a, the same level as I think um, you know, probably better than any one drop in the format. Being that it's able to, you know, shrink Tarmogoyfs, accelerate you, you know, get you a bit of life in a pinch or, you know, be able to put a reasonable clock on your opponent. So, you know, the bug, the bug lists have been, been showing up quite a bit. You know, there's a, there's a agent bug list that I, you know, I've been pretty excited to see that's piloted by Todd Anderson that uh, is basically just bug plus shardless agent, you know, so it's just, you know, value, value, value. Right. And, um, you know, when you when you can play your shardless agent into either a Tarmogoyve, ancestral vision, or Hemdatorak, I mean, it's it's pretty nice. There's there are very few cards that it actually you know flips over that don't impact the board in a meaningful way, and uh, so so that list is is really nice. Plus, it it also has everybody's favorite Jace the Mind Sculptor. Oh yeah, and um, this is exactly where I would start if I was playing Legacy right now. Uh, if you're you know, if you've been away from the format for a while. And, uh, you know, so, cause I think this deck has a reasonable game against, you know, a lot of the combo decks that are floating around. And, uh, with four main deck, Abrupt Decay, you know, the, the Miracles deck is just gonna be kind of a block for you. you. You know, you have so much value, so many ways to just, you know, stop your opponent from getting counterbalance or an act top. And, and I think, uh, th- this is definitely where I'd be looking to, uh, to play. Yeah. Uh, I, I, looking at this list, like I've been saying since Ravnica was, was, oh, printed, I was gonna say. Has since it's returned, I guess that that applies as well. Uh, <laughs> you can tell my brain's not clicking perfectly this <laughs> this early, but okay. So I've, I've been saying since Ravnica was printed that Abrupt Decay is the reason that I want to play Bug in Legacy. But you also mentioned Deathrite Shaman, and I think Deathrite Shaman's becoming almost 
a better reason mm-hmm. because of all those things it can do. It's kind of like you look at it and you go, yeah, it can do all these things. That's really cool. Like, obviously, it's good. But then when you play with it or against it and you're going, wait, what are you doing? Oh, you know, you messed me up <laughs> and you disrupted this or you, you know, oh, wait, I'm I'm at two and, oh, Death Rite Shaman kills me. Right. Oh, great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you, you just you don't look at across the table and you, you don't see Grim Lava Mancer, but that's what it is. And you don't see... You know, birds of paradise, but that's what it is. <laughs> and you don't see the, you know, I, I've got you at lethal and they're like gain two life. And you're like, oh yeah, it does that too. So <laughs> it's kind of unbelievable how good this card is. And, um, uh, you know, on the, on the finance side there, I think they were 12 bucks last time I checked on star city and, uh, yeah, they are, they still are. I think, yeah, they, yeah, they're, they they're to- cooking. You need to grab them. Like this is one of those cards. This is, this is kind of the Bob of this Ravnica where, you know, I think when original Ravnica was out, you could get Dark Confidants for a rough, roughly the same price, somewhere between mm-hmm. like eight and twelve. Yeah. And you held on to them for a few years, and suddenly they were, you know, triple that or more. Yeah, and it, and we've already seen that it's able to impact literally every format. So why why not? It, especially if you can pick them up, you know, eight to ten bucks. Pick up a playset for $32. That's really, that's not a lot, especially if you look at, you know, trying to pick up a playset of Noble Hierarch or Bob. You yeah. Know, that's, it's, it's just a, a no brainer. But, okay. So, so continue on the legacy discussion. Um, I, well, first of all, I'm going to kind of take it in a, in a little bit different direction. Yesterday, there was a invitational qualifier at a local place here in, in Columbus called Comic Town. And uh, there were about 70 people there. And I, I usually assist with helping the tournament organizer. Um, sometimes I'll help with, like, judging and stuff. I'm not a judge, but I'll help with some of the rules and stuff if they don't have a judge on staff. And uh, and then, then I, I buy and sell cards while I'm there. And uh, I noticed a huge trend yesterday. Of course, like, you know, I sold 10 Thundermine Hulkites because everybody wants to have that card. But uh, something I noticed is that um, there were a lot of people that, it was either their first time or they, they had just kind of got into legacy that were buying into legacy that, uh, you know, either buying staples, um, off of the shop or, um, or, you know, doing a lot of trading for them and, and actually even had, you know, cause I was giving tokens out and stuff and I was talking to some players and the guy's like, Oh yeah, you know, I haven't, I haven't played legacy before. And I told him about, you know, they have a Sunday legacy thing. And I was just really surprised because, you know, again, like these are standard players and, you know, they, they are presumably kind of connected into, you know, looking at starcitygames.com, looking at, you know, the Wizards page, maybe some of the other magic websites out there, that it would, like, be more likely, especially that they have the Shocklands, that they would say, oh, I'm going to get into modern. Right. You know, that, hey, do you have, you know, Vidalian clicks and whatever, but, but that's not the case. So, you know, it, it kind of made me think, like, really how... You know, how much more accessible is modern than legacy? You know, is that like enough of a selling point that's going to bring people over? Because I, I feel like, especially after yesterday, that modern has got some serious ground to cover based on what I saw people playing. I mean, people, you know, in between rounds, they were playing legacy. Like every, I mean, I probably saw a dozen people playing legacy yesterday. Just like, hey, let's, you know, let's play a pickup game. Yeah, it's among the the play group that I tend to play with. Legacy tends to be the the format of choice, like the 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 format that people really want to play. Um, we will play standard and modern because we have standard and modern decks, and those are fun too. You know, magic is fun pretty much no matter which format you're playing, right, at right. least from my perspective. Um, 
but it seems like legacy is the preferred format. And a lot of these guys just got into legacy over the past year or year and a half or so. Like basically, you know, the, the SCG opens, uh, start to really pick up steam. I mean, obviously we've had legacy at the SCG opens for a couple of years now, but you know, it really has started to pick up and gain a lot of momentum. And you're apparently seeing it even just at local stores in between standard rounds, people are playing legacy. So, um, and, and we did talk a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago about the, uh, the fiscal cliff, I guess, of, mm, yeah. of, of yeah. legacy or however you want to, uh, refer to it, you know, that the more people that get in, the more, the higher demand for these cards that aren't going to be reprinted and, you know, where you're going to see these prices just kind of go through the roof um, at some point, and then it's just all going to f- possibly come crashing down when it can't be supported. Um, and Wizards' attempt to fix that has been the creation of Modern, at least to some degree that's what Modern is supposed to be. Yeah, that's kind of the perception that, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I think I've heard it from a number of people that it's a, it's a legacy that they can just reprint whenever they want. Yeah, it was kind of like we could how can we can fix extended and fix legacy by doing this. You know, we can make yeah. another non-rotating format and a, maybe a better extended. And while modern is certainly seeing a lot more play than extended from what I can see, um it's not a perfect format. It's not an exciting format and it's, you know, among the three major constructed formats from my perspective, people like Legacy first and Standard close behind it and Modern is, you know, do you have a Modern deck? Oh, no, I don't have a Modern deck. Or, yeah, uh, okay, I'll play Modern, you know? <laughs> like It's and, like the third choice that nobody really yeah. wants to play it, unless there's a big event. And that was what Extended was for a while, so it's kind of scary. Well, it, I, I think, you know, part of it is, there, you know, Gavin Verhey prior to him going to Wizards, he really, you know, he championed the idea of an overextended, Mm -hmm. you know, there were two schools of thoughts. There were, you had this modern format. Well, his overextended was sort of before modern format, but he was, he was really pushing overextended, which is, um, I think is, uh, onslaught forward, no invasion forward. Yeah, it was, it was invasion forward. And so, you know, I think that you lose out on a lot of the variety that these sets provide, um, if you go invasion for it, I mean, I would, I, would, I think that keeping masks out is probably fine because there are cards like brainstorm and dark ritual and, and 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 cards that you just don't need in the format. But invasion, I think, offers invasion for it offers sort of a subset of cards that I think really inject a lot of what makes legacy legacy. Uh, you know, cards like vindicate and pernicious deed, I think, are you know two mainstays that people when you think of legacy. You know, these are these are the types of cards that pop in your head. Of course, you know the absence of any tribal at whatsoever in um, in modern. You know, no goblins, no no elves. That's uh, that's pretty telling. You know, you don't have guys like Wirewood Symbiote, Goblin Piledriver, Goblin Lackey. Of course, Lackey wasn't in Invasion and Forward. Uh, goblin uh, Warchief and and uh, Ringleader. You know, so like if you don't have these cards. I think you're just missing out on something that really makes legacy what it is. It's not, it's not because of the reserve list. I don't think, you know, I mean, there's only 572 cards in the reserve list and like for all intents and purposes, alpha through, you know, ice age is like from a design perspective. Like I, I understand that those cards just weren't designed with modern, um, 
modern design uh, constraints or yeah. yeah principles yeah. So like I don't mind that we don't you know have necro or or um, or even even you know helm of obedience like these cards just aren't like the way they work today isn't the way that they're supposed to work you know what I mean right. um, so but I think that invasion forward you know we have like pr- basically modern templating six edition rules you know draft formats were good they were designing with draft formats in mind so I mean. I just, I kind of wish that they would retroactively just say, okay, we're going to go invasion forward, even though it makes it a little more confusing for players who thought, you know, if I had a new frame card, but you add just so much. Like, um, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I, uh, but I think that they would, um, let me see, how, how do I want to put this? I think right now the format's not correct. And your solution is a viable solution, but it is nowhere near where they're going to go first. <laughs> you know, no, no. I, I think uh, I could see if we went five years down the road and modern, maybe maybe not five, maybe three, but maybe seven. You know, uh, yeah. if modern still is not what they wanted it to be, then maybe they say, all right, we're going to include a few more sets. But um, at this point, I think they're going to try to make their their you know sets from 8th edition onward, they're going to make that work by messing with the banned restricted list, or they're just basically the banned list for modern. Mm-hmm. And um, on that note, it used to be, and, and I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, I know Ruben and I were going to mention it, but I don't think we did. Um, the banned restricted announcements used to be on the 20th of the month every right. you know every three months. So it was like September 20th and then December 20th. So people actually started talking a little bit on Twitter because we just had some modern events, you know, big modern events, and we had uh, we have December 20th is right around the corner. So uh, in fact, I think Wednesday, the day you guys are hearing this, is December 20th, right? No, it's the 19th, so it's Thursday. Anyway, uh-huh. <laughs> the 20th is upcoming, so people started discussing it until somebody mentioned that. The the next announcement they they changed it so it's going to coincide with the uh, the Monday following the pre-release of each new set so it's still four times a year it's just aligning with the set release times instead but uh, but that said you know again there's talk about possibly unbanning something maybe ancestral visions maybe Jace the Mind Sculptor maybe Bitter Blossom who knows th- those are the cards that I see most often. Um, I just got to tell you the Jace thing. Mm-hmm. I think that this would be um, like I don't mind seeing Jace the Mind Sculptor unbanned, but they have to reprint it in some way. Like they have to get it back in the hands of players. Yeah, because the biggest problem is that card's a hundred dollars still. Right, it's a hundred dollars. Well, so is Tarmogoyf, right? I mean, they are doing something about that, but so is Tarmogoyf right now, right? The problem is that Jace the Mind Sculptor is on buy list for seventy five dollars. Yeah. Like he's, 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 players will not let you take them out of their hands. They're just holding on to them for dear life. Right. And, um, you know, he's way more playable than Tarmogoyf in the formats that Tarmogoyf isn't in. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Tarmogoyf, obviously getting a reprint. I just think um, it's, if you want to see a $200 card in a modern <laughs> legal format, then unban Jason Mind Sculptor. Yeah, I'm and, telling and- you that. This is it's it's kind of a uh, interesting topic because I think it, the the question is what's the lead time on Modern Masters? You know, what's the is the set 
complete by the point when they announced it? You know, or is it mm, decided yeah. on already? Um, do they have a couple of months to still work with things? Maybe, maybe they say, okay, we can announce it, but let's see how things go the rest of the year to determine exactly the, the final yeah. few slots or something. And, you know, I, if, if I, they were to do that, they could put Jason in the set. That's where I'm getting with that. So say, I think they, they've probably already, I think it's already set in stone given that it's, it, you know, it's a limited set. There's, there's a few, I, I know that like at the end of, uh, like before set goes to the print run, they have like a, I don't even know what you would call it, but you know, like a retrospective and say, okay, do we need to add any mana cost to cards? You know, and they have like, you know, like the last minute thing where Tarmogoyf was green, green one and they take a mana off of it. Right, right. And so I think that there's part of that, you know, with a set like Modern Masters, sure, there's probably maybe a couple slots that are up in the air and, you know, at the last minute they say, hey, you know what? You know, put top in there, or you know, put put Jason there. You know, it, it, I, I think that would be kind of a fun way to to unban a card. Yeah. But at the same time, I think these are going to be I'll call them evergreen cards. I think these the kinds of cards that you're going to see in Modern Masters are never going to be banned. Right, that, and that makes sense. I mean, but theoretically, any card they ever print, they <laughs> they have that intention with it. You know, yeah, they don't print cards that they expect to ban. These should be these should be safer. Like I right. think, I, I think you're going to see less. You know, bitter blossoms and ancestral vision type card. And you know, like if you're going to talk about skirting the line of banability, you would see like you know, like maybe a land or something you know, like a grove of the burn willows type card that they're very unassuming and then get broken. Yeah, um, but otherwise, I, I think like it. I, I wouldn't expect to see more than like a couple. You know. Lanes Walker, uh, complicated type cards, you know, like cards that, um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be interesting because given, you know, modern sets now have planeswalkers in them. So, you know, when you draft, you don't expect to open a planeswalker, but you get one. So I, I would, I would expect to see planeswalkers. I actually kind of expect to see Karn and Elspeth. Yeah, I, I could t- totally hear those. Yeah. And um, and then you may see some cards that again, you know, I don't know how much testing Wizards is doing, but you may see cards that Wizards is like, hey guys, you know, you're playing this modern format, you're forgetting these cards, you know, like a Johnny Vengeance. Yeah. You know, did everybody forget about you know how good that card is? Maybe right. you should play that. And it's like, I mean, Johnny Vengeance saw Legacy play. My buddy Mark Sun, he played a Johnny Vengeance in his Landstill decks. And you know it's a ridiculous card. Like people forgot. You, like you said, people kind of seem to have forgotten about how good Ajani was in standard. And it's it's a four mana planeswalker, but so is Jace. So yeah, I'm just trying to say people play four mana planeswalkers yeah. in Legacy. So uh, I, I could see him seeing play in modern if people remember it. And uh, one way to get people to remember it is to print it in in a set like Modern Masters. Um, I think uh, Vendillion click is very likely to be in that set as well. I think it's... Yeah, they need to get more of those out because that that was like the one that shot up overnight. It was, you know, seven or eight bucks and then went to 35. Yeah. Um, And I just think that you you just can't, you know, especially if you're trying to make a format more accessible, you know, the demand is going to be there. So I think Wizards is so scared of Chronicles Part 2 that they're being very, very careful. I mean, they're treading so carefully that if you look at the way they phrase when they announced it and when they're talking about, you know, the set releases and stuff, I mean, they go out of their way to say, this is a limited print run, you know, we're going to, you know, we're 
very wary that we don't want to do whatever. And it doesn't matter. You could put, if you, if you add another 10,000, 20,000 Tarmogoyfs, the demand will, will be there. If right, you want to soak it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you're building a format, like more players, thousands of players are entering the, the, the fray, you know, every quarter. And, uh, you know, for every thousand, there's 10 people that say, I want to bind a legacy or, you know, you have an old guy that used to play a long time ago and wants to come back in. Yeah. You got it. You got to provide cards for those people. So whether you, whether you want to do it or not, you either have hundred dollar Tarmogoyce or $50 Tarmogoyce. I mean, I think I'd rather live in a world where my $100 Tarmogoyce turned into $50 Tarmogoyce. I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been on that kind of uh, kind of line of thought where I'd rather there be more players. I'd rather this game be thriving than my uh, portfolio <laughs> of, yeah, yeah, of cards, sure. you know? Well, and, and, and as somebody, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a big time or anything, but I have a fair amount invested, and in, in, uh, I use invested in quotations, as far as, you know, the cards that I have, because, you know, at, at locally, I, I try to, to be someone that helps people to, to build decks and things like that. And, you know, I probably have more dual lands than anyone in the city. And I would have no problem if tomorrow Wizard said, look, we want to make Legacy more accessible. We're giving, you know, every person a dual land in every pack. I mean, I, I wouldn't care. I mean, I'm sure I'd lose a lot of money, but you realize, like, how more accessible Legacy would be. The demand would be there. You give it two years, my duels would be right back where they were. I mean... It's just, I don't know. I think it's very difficult, and it's kind of like uncharted territory anyway. Because you know, you look at like stamp collectors, coin collectors, baseball card collectors. You know, these cards are have intrinsic, you know, value just because they're collectible, right? And, and you know, there's there's not a lot that you can do with a Mickey Mantle rookie card. You know, like you can grade it, and you can you can like wave it around and, and frame it and show people, and it's really cool. But you're not doing anything with it. These cards are, you know. They have a collectability part. That's where the CCG part comes in. But you, I mean, we want to play. Like, right. I, I think the, de- the, the demand's going to be there enough that, you know, a Magic Apocalypse couldn't come because people just want to play this game. Um, just just because I wanted to mention it, we had a, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a, a comment on our episode, actually on the incontentionmagic.com uh, on the episode 103 where we discussed the reserve list a bit and it was Chris B., uh, mm. you know, he, he is strongly or firmly on the other side of the argument where he doesn't feel like, you know, the, the, uh, the reprint, uh, or the lack of reprints of legacy dual lands is what's going to kind of cause, uh, cause the cards to be worth nothing. And I think, um, you know, I actually saw his initial comment and I saw your, your reply. Um, you know what I'm referring to, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't actually see that he had replied again, um, I completely just missed that one, so I, I'll have to read that one after recording. But it is I, – I do want to mention that there are people on the other side of the argument about – you know from, from you and I who are saying, go ahead. I don't care if all my cards are worthless as long as everybody can play. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, There are people who really uh, – I would assume this guy, this guy who commented, Chris, is uh, also a, not just a collector but a player of the game because he's listening to a – podcast about playing the game yeah, uh, yeah so you know he's he's clearly on a different um you know of a different point of view so yeah i did you know i can see both sides of it in, in a lot of ways and in <clears throat> you know i especially don't fault anybody if they you know if you're really heavily invested into something you know you have a place at a candle lovers of course you don't want them to ban the card or reprint it 
you know, and put more more of those cards in the hands of players because you know, in, in a basic economical level, yeah, that's that's what happens when you introduce more supply of something, then the price goes down. Um, but uh, in Magic, it's so much different that the, the laws of you know economics are are very different because if you put more cards into the hands of players then it it has like a trickle down effect mm-hmm. you know because we're not hoarders you know and some of us are but you know like if i get 12 of a card you know as a player i i don't want to hold on to eight copies like what if what if they go down what if they do whatever well, what i'm going to do i'm going to i'm going to give them to someone else you know i'm going to sell them to somebody else and so you sort of like these players sort of build these little these little eco uh, systems uh, inside of the community, and and it's able to like scoop people into the format, you know. So I have eight tropical islands, and I have a buddy that wants to play Legacy. Ah, oh, here's four tropical islands, you know. And uh, so the more of those, if I had thirty tropical islands, I could get you know another, you know, three or four people to play. And you know, if if it's if it's about bringing people into the game. And and you know, getting them to attend tournaments and buy into the to the format, then more is better. Anyway, we've dri- we've driven that in the ground, but yeah, <laughs> um, just to to go back because I, I there's a little bit more finance that I want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know we hashtag Alluren is. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do I do want to talk about that, uh, but uh, just real quickly, you know, kind of looking at the standard decks, it's a pretty good spread. Um, I'm of course back on the invitational topic. Um, I did want to point out we were talking a little bit before the show that Naya is uh you know, Naya's a real deck. There's some people that were saying, eh, it's not real. You know, the cards are very ho hum. Like if you get there, it's just because of, you know, it's just because of like the blowout cards. But I I firmly believe that Naya is not just like a good deck, it's a great deck. Yeah, I think uh, you know, we saw a few months ago, how good Bonfire the Damned was, and we were seeing that card pop up everywhere, and the card was like 50 bucks, and then it started, you know, falling off, and it dropped to, I think around 25 was the lowest I saw it uh, mm-hmm. on, on Star City. I'm just going by Star City prices. That's that's what I use always for my, uh, my numbers, but... Uh, I think if you can get bonfires now, if you don't have bonfires yet, I think that's something you want to grab because not only is, is it seeing play in some of these nihilists, but we're getting some more, uh, some more red guilds popping up in in gate crash. I almost called it guild pact. Uh, <laughs> the uh, so <laughs> so I think bonfire may be picking up some steam. So uh, before we you know get too much into the standard discussion, I just wanted to mention that since we're kind of overlapping with finance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this is a- <laughs> I did. I, I picked up my four bonfires. I had I had not had any until I just got them in the mail yesterday. So. <laughs> Nice. Uh, nice. I wanted to get them now before they start going back up. That's that's my well, opinion. You might have a better. You might have a different perspective. No, it, it's certainly. I mean, it's very well positioned. I mean, if you look at Naya, it's kind of insane that Naya is doing so well. Given that, I mean, it's, it's not to- totally crazy. If, if you look at standard, I mean, take yourself totally high level view of the format. We have <clears throat> basically four. Uh, we have five sets. You have the base set. And then four block sets. And, you know, we have two full sets plus an M set to get, like, the full view of this, of, you know, what standard will look like. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually probably more important to just see what standard looks like after the second set. Because, you know, we're going to get the, you know, Sacred Foundry, Stomping Ground. That's, that, that in itself is huge. That means that the mana is just going to get so much better, uh, right. especially 
we're already seeing four and five color control lists, uh, you know, and four and five color mid-range decks or four color mid-range is actually a deck. So that's, that's without some of the fixing we're going to get in the next two sets. Yeah. And and even, I mean, if you look at control, being able to get access to, uh, water grave, and we've said that a bunch of times, Yeah, that is huge. That's so huge. And, um, so I think, uh, once all these lands are in the format, actually, this happened a long time ago, back in the original Ravnica, where you had like a similar thing. Like, you know, to start, you had, you know, a, a certain set of lands, and then as Guild Pact came out, the mana got a little bit better, but you still couldn't, you still couldn't run s- certain colors to like the most efficient way that they could be run. Mm-hmm. And then once the full set of lands were out, it was just like it was just open season on mana base. Like, who cares about mana bases? You could just what do you want to play? You want to play, you know, this would be like, th- I think the mana will be probably just as good as vivid, um, vivid and filter mana bases. Yeah. Because of like cards like Farseek. I mean, you yeah, just, it's, it's interesting. I, like you mentioned the, you know, original Ravnica when dissension came out, which was the third set mana got really good. It was like, I was getting mental whiplash from switching decks so much because it was, I, I, I wanted to play, <laughs> I could play anything. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to play this guy and this guy, I play them all together. Anyway, uh, it's like you said, Farseek. I think is. I think Farseek is just kind of this this glue that's holding the format together. And I'm wondering, are we going to get something uh, that even any, anything else that's similar to it? Because obviously, if you want Farseek, you have to play green. So now you're like, all right, do all the all the decks start off with green? You know, or any a lot of decks really are starting with green. You see, you know, uh, black green, which Kibler has. Uh, has championed this weekend a Predator Ooze deck. You've mm-hmm. got you know the Thrag Tusk decks, which can be anything. You've got Naya. You've got um, you've got the green white decks, and then of course you've got the control decks that are going. You know we want a Mind Stone. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We Far Seek is the best Mind Stone in the format. Sure. Yeah, we'll splash it off of Overgrown Tomb or whatever, or, or you know Temple Garden. Yeah. I mean that the whole Bant deck. That I mean, I've even seen some versions of the Bant deck that just have Far Seek and only a couple Thrag Tusks. Yeah, like I mean, that's, not- that's my deck. Yeah, that's what I've... I just wanted to play... I wanted to play Blue-White Control with Farseek and Drown Yard. And that's pretty much the direction that a lot of these decks are going. Like, I'm like, I need... I, I just need to be able to uh, to access green so I can Farseek and, you know, make my Sphinx's Revelations awesome. And, uh, exactly. and I want to be able to, to play Drown Yard, so I'm going to splash Overgrown Tombs so I can do that. And then... Uh, you know, oh, I guess since I have access to green, Thrag Tusk seems pretty good to help me <laughs> make the game last longer until I can drown somebody out, and maybe I can attack too. So, it, I don't mean to like you know hyperbolize or, or sensationalize Farseek, but when I resolve Farseek when I'm on the play, I feel like I wastelanded my opponent. It's that good. It feels like you've been wastelanded, especially when <laughs> when you're on the other side of that. Oh, you know? <laughs> no, it does. It, it, that's exactly what it feels like. When you're playing your second land and your your opponent's going to play his fourth, Yeah, that's not that's not fair. Like, that's not fair magic when, <laughs> when your opponent can be resolving Jaces and you, ha- you have no board presence. Yeah, one thing I do want to note, uh, I believe it's Reed Duke. Let me, uh, yeah, I have the list right here. Uh, he's one of the guys that has been on Bant Control, splashing one Overgrown Tomb and one, uh, one Drown Yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the past few weeks at the Grand Prix, we've seen him do well uh, with a deck like this. He's taken that deck uh, a little bit further. He now has two Drown Yards and two Overgrown Tombs. So same kind of concept as uh, as I was just discussing, like even even more, just double it. 
Uh, and he, instead of Elixir of Immortality, which has been kind of a mainstay over the past couple of versions of that deck, where you can just completely, you know, reset your library, make your next Sphinx Re- Sphinx's Revelation that much better because you've already filtered out the lands. You have so many lands in play. Now you're drawing all all action, mm-hmm. um, and then you know you draw into another Elixir and do it again. And it's like uh, that. That was where he was last week, but he's brought Rest in Peace into mm-hmm. the slot where Elixir used to be, which is interesting because it, uh, you know, it changes that strategy from looping your library, but at the same time, you know, it fights against everybody else who's on that same plan where they're going, oh, I'm just going to use Elixir and keep looping my library. You, you get in one of those mirror matches where you're both going, oh, I have Elixir, you have Elixir, we're both trying to drown each other out. It's miserable. Yeah. <laughs> I, really I kind of fun, kind of depending on what your perspective is, but no, it's not in like Elixir. Honestly, I'm I'm actually glad to see it out because it's it's a pretty do nothing card. The only co- the only time that I'm you know somewhat reasonably happy to see it is either on turn thirty in the mirror match or on you know early on against Burn, and I just need to get up to you know Wrath Mana or something. So I, I'm not a huge fan of that card. I've actually. I'm playing a similar idea. I'm kind of playing a hybrid between Reed and Chapin's, you know, Bantax mm-hmm. and the Ali and Trazi list that did real well. And so I'm kind of like more on Planeswalkers. Like I'm playing two main deck memory depths because I think that, you know, people aren't playing Architect of Thought as much right now. Um, and I think that memory depth is like a nice, a nice card to be able to play when the control decks aren't playing Jace. Because they just have no way to, they have no way to interact with it. Yeah, it's like um, detention sphere is their best answer, and that's usually a one or two of. Or even if you look at Reed's deck, he's got one detention sphere, one restoration angel, and four tusks. That's literally the only way he interacts with it. And your yeah. clock, if you get that online, you know, and, and also he, he has he only has four dissipate as a counter magic. So you know, I've I've really liked that. Um, it's uh, it's been pretty good. I, I do want to say that I think that you know right now. Jace Architect of Thought is hovering between, you know, $23 to $25. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as a four-man Planeswalker that we've seen make a pretty good impact, I think now's a pretty good time to be thinking about picking those up, you know. Yeah, how- he's on the downswing, I think, at this point, but I think it, it, that's not going to last long. Yeah, especially, you know, black-blue coming in the format. And I think you and Ruby may, may even mentioned something about this last week, but... um yeah, very, very, uh, very good card to have on the back burner. I mean, of course, being t- being able to get the Demir, uh, c- you know, cruise cards, I would just, I just want to see them all spoiled right now because I feel like all of these band decks would just as easily discard the ability to play green and just be like, yeah, forget Thrag Tusk. You know, we're still play Farseek, of course, because you know it's Farseek, <laughs> but. Mindstone. Yeah, you know, Thrag Tusk, I'm sure, I'm sure Black is going to get something, you know, like not, you know, hopefully better than Agony Warp, but something along those lines that you don't, you don't feel so crippled against the, uh, the creature decks. And I think at this point, you know, since everything's mid range, like I don't even care about my Thrag Tusk anymore. Like I'm not running into, to Black Red, you know, if you're, at least if you're playing online, I barely ever play against Black Red. So I've, I'm up to two Thrag Tusk in my main deck, and I think that's the right number. Yeah, so. it, it's it's funny because how this format has evolved. It was all Thrag Tusk at one point. Then it's, you know, the focus is on Sphinx's Revelation. 
And uh, while I think the focus hasn't fallen off too much of Sphinx's revelation, you look at Thrag Tusk. Like when I when I resolve Thrag Tusk, I'm just like, wh- whatever. <laughs> like it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It's like shrug. Oh yeah. Oh, gain five life too. Oh yeah. I guess I do do that. Yeah. That's, that that is what the card does. Oh yeah. Like I don't even know why I'm playing it sometimes, um, unless I'm really low. And you know, when you really need it, you appreciate yeah. having a five three that gains you five. But when I, I like it in the matchups that it's not like noted for being really good and like i love it in the blue white matchups i love it because they have no aside from you know a pike it's the best clock that you can have yeah so so i actually prefer it there whereas like i'm usually dead (laughs) by the time my thrag test matters against red black like red black is a very very difficult matchup for those kinds of decks just because they've built themselves to to win the mid game you know between you know, the Hellriders and the Aristocrats and the Thundermaws, like, you, Blue White has a really difficult time dealing with those cards. <laughs> yeah. You know, sure. even if you're gaining five life. And the only, you know, the only times that I take those games home is if I have a Faith Mender and I'm able to just gain 600 life before it, you know, becomes an issue or I, or I can catch my opponent on a Wrath. You know, I've, I've actually won a couple games. Do not have six your turns if you have Aristocrat out because. <laughs> If you get Wrath, you, you can sack a guy and save your guy. I don't know if people read that card. That card's very good. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and you kind of uh, just reminded me of another land that I think uh, that you want the green for. Well, another card that you want the green for, which happens to be a land, and that's Alchemist Refuge. That card, yes. it feels so disgusting to be like, you know, have your you have just like a ton of lands, and your opponent just says, go, and you're like, I'm going to activate Alchemist Refuge. Farseek. Elixir, Thrag Tusk. Uh, okay, my turn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good. And my favorite mode with that is just my Supreme Verdicts become seven mana. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Go into your tax step, sure. Yeah, wrap. It's just funny, <laughs> funny to just cast. You're like Alchemist Refuge, and they're like, "Oh no, what are you going to do?" And you're like, "Farseek." <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I've got fifteen lands. I'm going to get my sixteenth. Is that cool? It's just uh, it's kind of amusing, but it's really fun to make all your cards. Have well, actually, I give it. I'll give a tip because these four color control decks are becoming pretty popular. Um, the red, you know, the red, white, blue, the American mid range decks and mm. the flash decks are starting to play Ghost Quarter now. You know, yeah. Ghost Quarter was really good back when Prime Time was legal because you could snag, you know, Inkwell or Ink Moth Nexuses and Kessig Wolf Runs. And now, like, who cares about Kessig? Who cares about Moreland Hunt? Like, these cards aren't really doing a lot. But you know, being able to hit a refuge and also just it, it's strip mine against these five color decks because they play zero basic. So I've played I'm playing one basic forest in my deck now because yeah. because of this. Not a bad idea. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, um, I it'll be interesting to see who takes on the invitational. Uh, I'm again very excited to see this group of people. Of course, Todd won it last time, and Prosac won it uh, uh, three or. Four uh, yeah, times la- ago, yeah, like last year or something. Yeah, yeah, sometime last year. So cool, cool to see those guys at the top. Um, I would have liked to have seen Jerry in the top eight. Of course, he he did pretty well. I think he top sixteen. Um, I just uh, I Jerry's Jerry's been like kind of on a tear, and I, he's been the person that I've been, really been honing in on his articles, and I think he's really got a handle on the format. So if, if you're playing Flash and you haven't read pretty much every single one of his articles. Um, or Flash or American Mirage or whatever, any blue deck, I really think you, you need to go read his stuff. It's really good. So, Yeah, but, I also, uh, also wanted to point out uh, another deck. We don't need to talk too much about it, but you know we have, we have Reed Duke, who we were talking about playing No Planeswalkers, 
uh, in his main deck, and in fact, his sideboard is just one Jace Memory Adept, and I, that that's the only Planeswalker in the 75. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum with control is Esper Control that Spagnolo is piloting, and he's got uh, five Planeswalkers in the main, and, uh, and another Jace Memory Adept in the board, so his is kind of uh, possibly on the, like a little bit on the... Uh, Shaheen Surani sort of school of thought, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. but just just one copy of Soren, one copy of Jace Memory Adept, one Tamio, and then two Jace Architect of Thought. So it, it's it's kind of interesting to see the the different schools of thought as far as are Planeswalkers worth playing in some of these control decks, or are they not? So the next topic we're going to talk about is um, something that happened the last couple weeks is. Uh, something I think that people should be talking about. And uh, basically what happened is you have a card, Aluren, which is you know sort of fringe playable legacy card. It's a green enchantment that uh, enables a, a combo deck that usually involves Imperial Recruiter and then a number of other um, you know, one to three drops to you know, win the game. It's, uh, it's kind of clunky. It, a few years ago at GP Columbus, it... It sort of caught on, and and uh, and that's when Imperial Recruiter went from, you know, like ninety bucks to to three hundred or so, and you know, and then from there, it's really kind of fallen into obscurity. I don't know that it's top eight at a Star City event in two years. Uh, I think uh, is it Martin Goldman Curse? I think that's. Uh, I think he top eighted in Seattle with it. I'll uh, I'll it, I'll confirm that. But regardless. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't see a ton of plays. I guess what I was trying to say. Part of the reason that I remember who played it because he's the only person I've seen play it. Okay. Uh, very at all. Very recently. So. So um, anyway, so Lauren is kind of just this random card. It literally has. It, uh, it only gets played in one deck. However, it is on the reserve list, and so um, a. I don't know if this is probably maybe a week and a half ago. Um, an entity and some number of individuals went on the internet and bought the internet out of Aluren. So they went to the various dealer sites, scooped up all the copies that they have for, you know, five to five to eight dollars, you know, went on eBay, bought most of the buy it nows. And, uh, if I had to guess, probably spent between two to three thousand dollars buying Aluren's. And, uh, and this kind of had a very, very, um, real and immediate impact on the price of Aluren in that uh, it, it almost quintupled in price, um, at least if you're looking at $5 copies. We saw some go very briefly up to you know $25 and now sort of settled in the $20 range. And um, it's kind of something that like I really dislike because, you know, at, at a fundamental level, basically what, what these, you know, these individuals did is, they spent two or three thousand dollars, cornered the market on a card that's very, you know, not doesn't have a lot of printings and is also on the reserve list, so it's never going to be reprinted. And it's also, you know, a very interesting effect, mm-hmm. um, and made it so that that you know they can basically dictate the price. So, um, they it, it was basically a ploy to just make money, and uh, I don't know what the what the motivation to do it was. I don't know if it's because it was low hanging fruit because it's, you know, probably one of the cheaper playable reserve list cards, or if somebody has advanced knowledge of some sort of, you know, reprinting of a, you know, like recruiter or something that, um, you know, causes them to say, Hey, you know, we should pick up these alerts because we know this card's getting printed. In either case, the, 
motivation is very insidious. And I think that this is something that cannot happen in our, in our community. We can't, we can't allow this crap to continue um, the way that it has. Like, you know, we see these huge spikes because magic players are so worried about being left in the dust and not having the four of, of whatever card exploded when the card explodes, you know, Oh, I want to buy my $20 Lawrence before they're a hundred dollars each or whatever. Right. So I don't know. Did, did, did you get to see any of this Joey? I mean, I saw the discussion about it. Um, I didn't jump on any, you know, websites trying to buy a Lawrence or anything. But. Well, that's a good thing because I think it, I just wanted to bring it up because, you know, I, okay. So, uh, I brought this up and one of the first things that people said to me is like, okay, what about star city buying fetch lands? And so I'm actually glad that people brought it up because this is a, there's a very big distinction because it's the intent. Like, what are you intending to do? If you're buying up a bunch of fetch lands because you can't keep them in stock, then that's not, that's not, there's no, nothing insidious there. It's just, I'm buying misty rainforest and scalding tarns because we can't keep them in. Right. And we're you trying know? to sell them every single weekend. Uh, you know, well, in the open series too. Exactly. And, and, and you know what I, you know, a, a lot of times, especially with a card like that, y- you know, there, there's a price point that the card will just fly off the shelves. And even if the market doesn't reflect it, the dealer, it has to, to compensate for that. So I do this all the time because there's certain cards that I just can't keep in stock. So like the, the filter lands, or I'm sorry, not the filter lands, the, um, the, for Falls and the Innistrad lands. Right, Buddy lands. Board, yeah, Innistrad I, Buddy lands, yeah. Yeah, like I couldn't keep those in at the market rate. So I had to price them higher. Like it's well within my right. I'm not doing anything wrong by doing that. Right. And so I think that that's, you know, that's very different. And so I think that this kind of thing, the reason that I think it's something that people have to be wary of, there's mm-hmm. two reasons. One, I think that we need to be, as a community, we need to be willing to, to, let these cards just just let people buy them up. You're not you're not going to miss out on anything, you know, unless you're unless you absolutely have to play this deck. You're not missing out on anything, but not owning them. You know, usually like when people buy into these cards, they're well past the mania. Uh, uh, the, there's like a there's like a stage of, of a bubble, and the mania stage is like one of the worst times to buy because it's usually right before the bubble bursts. And so if, you, if it's gotten to you and you're not like really in tune into Twitter or you have friends in the industry, it's a bad time to buy anyway. So, you know, you got to be wary. And then, you know, of course, like I think not allowing these people to make a profit is, is a good thing because as these people come into the game, you, you're going to get, you're going to find somebody who, you know, they're sitting down to, to Christmas dinner and, and, uh, and they're, you know, they, their family says, so how are you doing? Well, you know, I, I just made a couple grand, and then the um, you know the rich uncle's like, "Well, how did you do that?" Oh well, I I just went on the internet and I bought all these cards out for for two thousand dollars and I sold them for four thousand. Oh well, that sounds really easy. Here's thirty thousand dollars. Go do that, you know. Yeah, do that some more. Yeah, go do that. Go do that more. All you have to do is just give me back, you know, thirty three thousand dollars. You can keep the rest. And so, if you get people outside of Magic who have no idea what the impact is to doing something like that, then I think that. You're just introducing like something that the magic economy has never seen, which is like outside buyers, like outside investors. And that's not what this game needs. We don't need people that are just going to buy up these cards. And, and I don't mean to soapbox it or anything, but this is, 
this is touchy. If you if you want your legacy format to survive longer than what I believe the shelf life will be, then you ca- you can't buy into this crap. And yeah. well, it's it definitely to- not good for the for the community because of co- if if a card is only available, you know, it's limited quantities and it's only available from one seller, then it's you know it's a shame that uh, yeah, they're going to be able to set the price, and that kind of kind of sucks for everybody. Uh, the good news about this particular situation is in the last four years, Aluren has only showed up nine times in the, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. in the deck database. I'm just looking at star City's deck database for any deck, any legacy deck that includes Aluren. And, uh, it's Martin Goldman cursed with it three times <laughs> nice. uh, of the nine. And then, it, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it, there's some magic online events in here too, but, um, it's, well, it's not like, it's not like a staple deck of legacy or anything. Yeah, it, it, and and I want to. I just want to say this too. You know, of course, with with Magic, there is a lot of opportunity to make money. There's, a, you know, people have their livelihood tied up in this game. But I think that there's, you know, you're either going to do it by being a good businessman and you know creating a good pipeline and managing you know your inventory right and you know buying and selling and being honest and you know doing it that way, or you can do it by sharking people, being a predator. If you want to do it, that's fine, but it's 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 not the way to be a good businessman. You're not going to build a real business by doing it. You're just going to be you, you're you're being selfish. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear if people like even agree with me. Like I, I do, I do a little bit of speculating, but not I, not a lot. Um, yeah, there's, think, there's a difference between speculating and doing this. Exactly. I think this is very very different. If you speculate on a card, that means that you think the card's going to go up. But it means you put you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is. If you corner the market. I mean, just Google, Google cornering the market, I and mean, this stuff happens with stocks. This, this happens. This happens in in real life, and uh, there there are consequences with with that. I mean, you just you, you can't do it, and our economy can't take it. Our our magic economy cannot take this on a grand scale. So, sorry, I enjoy you can edit me out if you want to get into soapbox it there. I mean, but, it's, um, it's an interesting topic, and I think uh, you know you have a lot more to say on it than I do because I think you are. Uh, you know, involved a lot more in that that aspect of the game than I am anymore. You know, like, so the, the whole finance aspect of it. it uh, so I, I can see you have much stronger opinions about it. I but I don't disagree with anything you're saying. The it, it seems silly to me unless, like you said, unless someone has some sort of insider knowledge, what this is going to do is this person just spent a whole lot of money, and you know, I guess several people may have spent. Uh, a good amount of money on accumulating allurance and the deck is going to put up nine finishes in the next four years and <laughs> nobody's going to <laughs> it's, it's going to be like okay we'll just not play allurance it's not like there's not other good legacy decks to play um you know there's an article that i think we linked to a couple weeks ago there's uh chaz andres wrote it mm-hmm. and um it's basically about like the day that magic died yeah it was like a, a kind of fiction kind of thing Right. You know, and it, Gavin Verhey wrote a very similar article. I think yeah. it was like one of the last articles he wrote before he went to Wizards. Yeah, he, uh, Chaz uh, actually linked that in his article as well. Yeah, yeah. So. Check them both out because they're really cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, specifically around this topic, read up on where he, where, he, where he talks about Countermark. Because that's exactly, that's exactly like a scenario that could happen. You know what I mean? Did, yeah. I mean, it's it's what happened in a, in a very small scale with Aluren, mostly because you know like that where he talks about he talks about um, there's like a short run of mm-hmm. this of this set that had Countermark in it, 
And so he had like all the copies so he, they could basically charge whatever they want. Well, that's kind of like Aloran is, you know, this, this car was printed, you know, 15 years ago. So, you know, there are thousands of copies just sitting in basements and, you know, inside of Tempest packs and, you know, in a warehouse of some car distributor. I mean, there, there aren't a lot out there. So it's very easy to corner the market on, on something like that. So, yeah. But, um, Anyway, uh, Joey, there there was a holiday card. Did did you get the, a chance to see this? I did see it, and I thought it was great that they uh, e- even the artwork on it is great because if you if you look at the the artwork for uh, I believe it's Diabolic Tutor, right? Uh, yes, yes, that's it. I meant to type in Diabolic Tutor here. It's Greg Staples. I know that. Um, there it is. They they had Greg Staples do the artwork for uh, for the holiday card, and he just you know and use his art from Diabolic Tutor as kind of the uh, inspiration between the artwork. So it's a split card. The card is naughty and nice. And uh, do you have it in front of you, Cranny? I'd rather read the Yeah, it's it's black, black, one. Search your opponent's library for a card. Put it into your hand. So that's naughty. That's the naughty part. And then the nice one is white, white, one. Search your library for a card. Put it into your opponent's hand. Yeah, like and, uh, yeah, I love it. I, I love the way that they make these. I mean, from a flavor perspective, they they've been doing a really good job. And and this is like the kind of stuff that if you've seen gifts given and uh, and even like fruitcake elemental, um, these are playable in people's cubes and stuff. And I think this one's really close to being cubable, but uh, probably not outside of like the combo cube. <laughs> But if it was like black one, just like demonic tutor, uh, and white one, you know, for the other half of it, I think it'd be cool. If you have like a two headed giant type cube, this is like an automatic include. This is a really, really good card. And then, um, you know, cause you have, you have, you have to have two targets for the, for the naughty part and then two targets for the nice part, which is cool. Yeah, I, I think the the fact that they do this and they design a card like this every year is awesome. I think the fruitcake elemental was the first one. Mm-hmm. In, in 2006, I just actually just brought up a list, um, and it's crazy. I didn't even really think about it. I know all these cards, but I didn't realize there were seven. Now, uh, wow. 2006 was Fruitcake Elemental. Then it was Gifts Given. Then Evil Presence. Uh, oh yeah, Evil Presence. Oh man, me and Sam had like a two day conversation about that card. <laughs> he just wouldn't. I, I I kept saying that I thought it was a bad card. Mm-hmm. And I rated it really low, and he he said it was like a good card, and I tried to compare it to like donate, and like we went. It's seriously like we got in this huge argument because of that card, because like his argument was that because you could put phage into play with it or something, it was good. Because yeah. <clears throat> for, for those of you guys who either forgot or don't remember or, or <laughs> don't, never heard, I mean that's what don't remember is what forgot means. Uh, for those of you guys who forgot or don't know what it does, evil presence is a sorcery for black black two. Put a creature card from your hand into play under target opponent's control. That creature attacks each turn if able and always attacks its controller. So uh, phage would obviously uh, deal combat damage to its controller and then you would win the game. So. I- I think it actually triggers its uh, it, the lose the game clause if it comes into play from anywhere other than your. Oh, that's hand. right, that's right. I'm thinking about the uh, you know the the actual damage part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then like 
I didn't really get behind some of uh, the the red one that they did, but I love Snow Mercy because it's a snow globe and you tap untap it. That's like shaking the globe. I think that's really cool. Yeah. But I, I'm I'm so happy um, this year they gave them out to to some of the members of the community. Uh, yeah. I thought that was really cool, and the people that did get them, like Staborski and uh, there's a guy named Man- Manaburn mm-hmm. on, on Gathering Magic, they they got a couple copies, and uh, I think that's awesome. I, I love like the fact that this you know fairly large company is able to sort of interact with us us uh, underlings. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's cool. You'll lose. Ah, uh, yeah, you'll lose. You know, it took me like over a year to get that card, like to, <laughs> to understand that what it, what it was trying to say. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm like, I don't really understand Yule Ooze because um, Dave Humphreys or whoever had designed the card was like really excited about it. And I'm like, well, this is this is cool and everything. And then, you know, I, I actually had a copy and I was selling it to somebody. I'm like, so are you looking for Yule Ooze? And I said it out loud. I'm like, you lose. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's great. But, well, uh, yeah, so it's pretty cool. Pretty pretty awesome of Wizards to do that every year, and it's always entertaining to see what they're going to do with it. Uh, and, and it's cool that they keep coming up with with holiday themed cards that are either just completely new cards uh, or based off of some old card. Yeah, I think it's it's really fun. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I I've never owned one. I don't think. Um, I don't ever remember owning one. If I did, I traded it pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it I. I still get the joy out of seeing what they're doing every year. Which yeah. I just think it's great because it's, it's fun. If they need to hire LSV to do one, I think, because he's really good with puns. <laughs> yeah, he is. Did and, you see uh, his – yesterday he tweeted something at Cedric saying that's what he said, like C-E-D. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. That was just that was just too much. LSV awesome. pretty much my favorite magic personality to just – you know, if I'm having a bad day – I feel like he's just so positive. I, I don't think I've ever seen him say or do anything negative. So if you want to pick me up, just go, you know, watch, like look at his Twitter stream or, or watch one of his videos. He's, he's really funny. And yeah, he's, he's really, really, really good dude. So, but, uh, Joe, do you have anything else to add before we wrap it up this week? I feel like, uh, we probably have some things to talk about as, you know, next week is Christmas. Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to do the gift exchange, and I, I'd like to do, uh, like to do maybe the intro. Um, we're going to do a, a series. It might be next week. It might be um, into January, where it's going to be. You know, we're going to talk about where where is Magic right now. You know, what what formats can you play? Where, you know, where can you go to play? What you know, what does standard look like? What is modern? And and kind of go really. Not like basic, but also, you know, make it very informational so that it's something that if you have a friend getting into the game or, you know, you're just getting back to the game yourself and someone recommended that you listen to the podcast that, uh, that, you know, you can get up to speed and figure out, you know, how you can get, uh, get involved in the game. So, yeah. Yeah. Kind of uh, sl- intro slash welcome back kind of to magic sort of thing. Yeah. Um, one thing uh, I did want to mention that was announced, and I'm pretty excited about it, was uh, Grand Prix Charlotte was announced. Uh, oh, yeah. How do we not say anything about this? Yeah, I had it written down, but uh, I figured I'd get to it when it when it made sense, which is right now. So Grand Prix Charlotte, uh, the, the announcement yesterday, they announced it on, the, on SCG Live, and you can go to, uh, I believe it's gpcharlotte.com or grandprixcharlotte.com. I'll check that out right now. 
I'll check GP Charlotte first. Uh, yeah, gpcharlotte.com, and you can get all the information. It is absolutely crazy. Star City Games is uh, is running the event, um, and just like one of the ones they had run uh, not too long ago, they, they're doing a Gold Rush promotion, so anybody that enters the Grand Prix gets uh, a little envelope, and it could it'll have a card in it, and the card could be any one of... Uh, two sets of unlimited they're, they're giving away. So you can, they're giving, they're, in the envelopes, they're including two sets of unlimited, yeah. two sets of Arabian Nights, two sets of Antiquities, two sets of Legends, two foil sets of Ravnica, original Ravnica. Nice. Two Guild Pack foil, two Deten- Dissension foil. So all these cards are going to be distributed, uh, in the envelopes, like one, one card per envelope. And so everybody that enters gets an envelope. You could open a Lotus like Owen Turtonwald did last time. You could open his. His response was so funny. He said, "Oh, I'm so glad they're doing the the promotion again. Last time I opened Black Lotus. I hope I do better this time." Yeah, <laughs> I saw that too. Uh, so you could open all kinds of good stuff: Library of Alexandria, Ancestral Recall, Manadrain. Hey, who's, who's who's commentating this uh, this Grand Prix? Well, Michael J. Flores will be there. Matthias Hunt will be there, and I will be there. So that, that's uh, I'm super excited about that. There's there's so much going on at this event. Uh, they're giving away the Gold Rush stuff in uh, all kinds of other ways as well. We're not going to go over all of it now, but um, but it will be featured on SCG Live, uh, as we mentioned. Um, and you should just check out gpcharlotte.com for all the information. It's it's pretty exciting, uh, and I, I'm, I'm definitely pumped. It's congrats, been- man. That's really awesome. That it's a that is a very very cool thing and. Super, super happy to hear Star City doing another Grand Prix. I hope that I can go to that because that's actually not too far out of my jurisdiction. That would be awesome uh, because Ruben is is on the docket as well. You know, he's on the on the ticket. That's what I should should say. Yeah, so yeah. All three of us together would be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, I it's a little bit awkward because it's it's in um, it's in the winter, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'll largely depend on what the weather looks like. But I'd love to. I'd love to go to that. Either way, that's cool that they're doing that. Um, and it's, you know, of course, two weeks until Col- uh, Star City Columbus. That that's the one that I'm like really looking forward to because I, I haven't played in a long time as far as uh, an open. Mm-hmm. I plan on playing both days if I can because I've been playing a lot of standard. So I'm 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 ready to rock that format. That's awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing you on SCG Live. Don't put me on camera, man. Just <laughs> hey, don't it's do not, it. It's not me. I'm not there, so <laughs> I have no control over it. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> all right, man. Well, um, thanks, uh, thanks everybody for all the comments that we've gotten in the last few episodes. Um, it definitely gives us a, a place to, you know, kind of hash it out a little bit, and, and especially as we get into topics like we've talked about in the last few shows. It's good to hear what the listeners have to say, and of course, we always love the feedback because you know it helps us make better shows. So, if you have comments, feedback, anything on the episode, if you're mad that Ruben couldn't be here because you know he's being lazy and you know hanging out in Los Angeles doing whatever, make sure you tell us because uh, you know we we can give him demerits and and kick him off of the show if we have to, um, you know whatever we got to do. Yeah, right on. <laughs> <laughs> Says the guy who wasn't here last week. <laughs> uh yeah whatever <laughs> all right well thanks everybody for tuning in and uh until next week he is joey pasco i'm matt Crancy. we're at case tube and at affinity for blue on twitter you can follow ruby at, at mox ruby the show is at in contention and we'll talk to you next week thanks 
forgot to say we are in contention. Oh, we are in contention. Ha, 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 ha.